How did they do it? How did those memorialized in Hebrews chapter 11 live in such a way that God selected them and their story as examples of faith? The answer, they lived by faith. More on that victorious, God-pleasing truth next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos and glad to spend these times roughly once a week sharing from the Word of God. And we have been through an extended series through the book of Hebrews today. It is Hebrews part 39. And within that, I've earmarked uh, Hebrews 11 as a sub-series called The Just Shall Live by Faith. And already we're on uh, part nine of that particular one. Well, As we get back into Hebrews, and we've spent the last two parts in this uh, Hebrews and uh, the Just Shall Live by Faith subseries, going back into Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 to really get into the essence of what real faith is, faith ground zero. Don't forget that. If you didn't have a chance to hear those two prior or those few, several prior uh, podcasts, please be sure to listen to that before we go forward because that provides a very important foundation. And it's so important to remember context. It's important to remember the context of Hebrews chapter 11 in the context of the entire book of Hebrews as a whole. Remember that Hebrews is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect son, perfect high priest, living a perfect life, in perfect obedience to the Father, out of a heart of perfect love, he suffered perfectly, he bled perfectly, he sacrificed perfectly, he died perfectly on the cross, rose again perfectly, ascended perfectly to the Father's right hand, and now reigns perfectly from the throne. How could you ever improve perfect? That's the message of Hebrews. We are in an infinitely better covenant the new covenant of grace over the old covenant of law. The reason is because of the perfection of Jesus and the perfection of his finished work. So we need to remember Hebrews 11 and the subject of the just shall live by faith in the important critical context of the whole book of Hebrews. I think that's where we get these weird ideas about faith that seem to pop up or imbalanced concepts about faith. We tend to... I think too often when the subject of faith is taught, we're focused on ourselves having more faith. Faith becomes the center. That's a serious mistake. The Lord Jesus Christ himself must be the center. Our faith is directed to someone else. So it's important to recall the critical full context of the book of Hebrews as we look at Hebrews chapter 11. A couple of important themes that I want to bring back to your attention again from Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, in verse 1, it says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance and evidence. First of all, substance. It's the reality of the thing, of things hoped for. And hope in the Bible speaks about the future. It isn't 
worldly hope like, well, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope I ace this test, or I hope I get married someday, or I hope I win the lottery. Biblical hope is based on the certainty of God himself and his promise, and it looks to the future with great hope because of God and because of his his, uh, faithfulness. So faith is the substance, the reality of things hoped for. Secondly, it says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now that's interesting. Usually when we think of evidence, we think of something tangible that you can touch, that you can see, and so forth. But this evidence that is spoken of is in the very Word of God. And many things, when you think about the Lord, about God himself, God is spirit. He's invisible. We cannot see him. There are so many things about God that cannot be apprehended by our five senses. Why? Because God is infinite. And we and our senses are infinite. Our minds are small. And so God, you know, there would be nothing that we would ever know about God. How in the world can someone who is teeny tiny and very finite, know anything at all about a being who is infinite. It's mathematically impossible, unless that infinite being chooses to condescend and reveal some things about himself. And that is exactly what God has done at the very beginning. In Romans, uh, we see the revelation of God in the creation. The creation itself reveals the design of the designer, the creative ability of the creator, the engineering genius of the master engineer of the universe. Romans chapter 1 tells us about that. We have the testimony of the scripture, the testimony of the prophets and uh, the apostles. We have the testimony and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember what it said there at the beginning of uh, Hebrews chapter 1. And let me go ahead and dial back to that for just a moment because uh, this is key. It spoke about the uh, revelation that God has given in different ways in times past. But in verse 2, it says, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God the Father himself. He is the logos. That's the expression of the thought. He is the articulate, distinct expression of God himself. Okay, let's get back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that not seen part, we're going to see over and over and over again, is how these people that are highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11 lived. They were trusting God, trusting his promise, even though their senses didn't see anything, yet they trusted in the God of the the unseen. They had evidence of things not seen. So that's the first key theme of Hebrews 11 that I want to bring back to your remembrance. The second point is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, which says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. First of all, we see that it's impossible to please God without faith. 
faith is that which is a real dependence upon someone else. And biblical faith is dependence upon God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here's the reason why. For he who comes to God. Now, the rest of this verse mentions God four times. He who comes to God, that's the first part. The person going to God, the person turning toward the Lord. He who comes to God must believe that he is. God exists. He revealed himself and his holy name, Jehovah, Yahweh, to Moses at the burning bush. This is in Exodus chapter 3. And he said, I am that I am. Think about that. I am that I am. God needs no arguments. He is. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, that's a mistake that many of us make throughout our Christian life, and I've made it many, many times. And that is to pursue the things of the Christian life, so-called, rather than God himself. Everything in the scripture comes together around God. And ultimately, around God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't see that, the scripture, in that context of being God himself, we will miss everything. It'll just be a bunch of pieces that don't fit together. But the scriptures integrate in the person of God. Remember what the Lord said to the scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of the law in the time that Jesus walked upon the earth? And this is recorded in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 39. He said of them, you diligently search the scriptures because you believe that in them you possess eternal life. But these, the scriptures, are they which testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There's everything put together. Jesus wasn't faulting them for diligently searching the scriptures. He was faulting them for two things. Searching the scriptures for the wrong thing. That was it. They They were looking for a thing, eternal life. Instead of understanding that scriptures testify about him, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second mistake that they made was believing that eternal life was in the scriptures. No, these are they which testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Remember what it says in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, it says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. 1 John 5, 10 and 11. Back to Hebrews eleven six, And bringing to your remembrance again these critical themes that we can't lose sight of in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God. Just like Jesus said of the scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of law and the, their big mistake, you refuse to come to me. To have eternal life. 
those who come to God. Think about all of the people we're going to be looking at here quickly as we go through more of Hebrews chapter 11 in a moment. They were God-directed. They were pursuing God. They wanted to know God. They wanted to experience God. This wasn't dead religion. This is the reality of real relationship with a living God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is who God is. He is truly that kind of a rewarder. Okay, with those important things, setting things back up, keeping the context, and I just can't say it enough, I can't repeat it enough, it's important for us not to lose sight of the centrality of Christ and his perfect finished work. It's critical not to lose sight of the truth that the, that the one that we're pursuing is not a truth, but a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, and I'd like to read together, please, verses 13 through 16. And before we do that, let's take a moment right now. Let's, let's put into practice exactly what we were talking about. Let's turn our hearts toward the Lord, and let's go to him in prayer, believing. Father, we thank you that you are You are the living God. You are the one who is the great I am, the I am that I am. And Lord, even though in this noisy world of carnality and worldliness and everything that seems to exalt the creature rather than the creator, Lord, we deliberately set our hearts on pilgrimage to seek you out and find you and experience you. And Lord, that's exactly what we're looking for as we go into the these verses today in Hebrews chapter 11. Lord, we want to know you. And Lord, we desire for you, we thank you for the Holy Spirit given, the one who inspired the very words that are in the Bible. I thank you, Father, of the wonderful promise that the Spirit of God brings to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the context, the realm of knowing you. And and that's what we pray for, Lord. And we thank you, God, for the activity and reality of the Holy Spirit inside of us that lights up the darkness, that allows us to see in a way that far surpasses our human limitations and weaknesses. Father, I pray that with that light, we would uh, know better the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power, your ability toward us who believe, like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ when you raised him from the dead, seating him above all principality and power. And we thank you, Lord. It is done. Amen. And amen. Are you excited? Are you excited to see what God is going to show you? How he's going to reveal more of himself and his heart to you? Okay, let's go into Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to start today in verse 13. Now, just remember what we've had so far in Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, uh, people who walked by faith like Abel and Enoch, people like Noah 
and Abraham and Sarah. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. And again, you can see that theme that we brought out there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. That's what these people were. It says that um, they they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. A stranger is someone who's not at home in this place. A pilgrim is someone who is on a journey to a holy destination. And it says at the beginning of verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Now, I'd like you to, to, to pay attention to what happened in their lives when they interfaced with the promises of God, when they experienced the promises of God. First of all, it says that um, they had seen them afar off. In other words, they realized that God had promised something, but it was something that was coming down the road. It says there in verse 13 that they were assured of them. And, and, it isn't because these people are so incredibly awesome with superhuman abilities. No, these are ordinary people like you and I, but their resting reliance was upon God and his ability. And so it says that they were assured of them in, in a passive sense. God had acted with his word to assure them. You know, that's the problem, I think, with too many Christians. Too many Christians wonder why their Christian life isn't working, why they're not hearing from God, or why they're having difficulty walking by faith and getting caught up with the things of this world. And it's because they spend no time at all in God's word. None. Well, how can you be assured of something you don't know about? See, God never meant for it to be that way. The scripture brings forth the promises, and there's so many. And these receive the promises. And again, get into God's word. See what the Lord has for you because of the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of his perfect finished work. Not your goodness, not how good you are, but on how good he is and what he has gotten done. That's receiving the promises and seeing them by faith and being assured of them. You know, many times in our Christian life, there are circumstances that we see that can be discouraging when we're looking only in the natural. And, and, and most of the people who are around us don't know the Lord. They're not walking by faith. They're walking by their five senses. They're walking carnally by the flesh, certainly not by the spirit. It says in Hebrews, or rather Romans chapter 8, that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who walk by the flesh 
live in the flesh cannot please God. But the assurance in Romans 8 verse 9 is, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. See, there is a vibrancy of life that the believer experiences them. And walking by faith, walking by the spirit is the victorious life. But you can have none of it if you don't know. These received the promises. They saw them afar off, but they were assured of them. Now look at this, this next part. They embraced them. Now when you embrace something, you're taking it as your own. You're holding it close to your heart and saying, this is mine, it's precious to me. You know, as we take the time in God's word, as we seek God out, The scripture directs us to him as we are exposed to his wonderful, loving promises. We begin to be assured of them. We embrace them. We hold them close. We treasure the promises of God. And our heart begins to understand because of the Lord's presence just how much he loves us. They embraced the promises and they confessed, they admitted that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They realize that this life is not all there is. Oh, there's so much more. They realize that they were on a journey and the destination was fantastic. And I'll tell you what, the journey is really good too. The pilgrimage is a sweet pilgrimage. It reminds me of what is said over in uh, Psalm 84, beginning in verse 5, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, the valley of Baca means the valley of weeping. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And then it says in verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. That's in Psalm 84. You see, they were on this wonderful journey. It is not a journey alone. It is not the journey of an orphan. It's a walk with God himself, God with us, Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, we in Christ. It's the adventure of faith. We are on a wonderful destination, but I'll tell you what, the journey is awesome. And then uh, as we go on, let me go back to Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, for 
Those who say such things, that they're strangers and pilgrims on the earth, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they came out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now, think of the patriarchs. I mean, Abraham was called out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and then he was called into what was the promised land, a land that turned out to be flowing with milk and honey. He he walked with the Lord, and it was so blessed. How about um, Jacob and, and Isaac and so forth? They were journeying in the Lord, journeying in the promised land. How about Moses? God called him out of Egypt, ultimately to lead Israel out of captivity to the place of their destiny in the Holy Land, in the land of promise. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. You see, that's what's going on in their lives. They have taken these promises of God. They have been assured by them, exposed, treasuring to these promises, treasuring them. They embraced those promises. They had a true eternal perspective on things. Even though some of those things seemed to be a way off, they were on pilgrimage. Yet as we saw in Psalm 84, they bring blessings. Even in the valley of weeping, they turn it into springs. And it says, Uh, at the end of verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Isn't that something? God is not ashamed to be called our God. You know, it's one thing to identify with God, but it's an amazing thing to realize that God has in his own um Identity, I'm trying to find the right way of expressing that. I mean, God's identity is his identity, but from eternity past, but even in that identity, he has a people. And a people, he is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for him, for them. You see, this is something that God has designed. This is something that God has brought about. God has brought us in a, in a journey of blessings together with him as part of his family. No longer orphans, no longer strangers to God, but those who are together with him, those who enjoy the family of God. And I was talking with a, a brother in the Lord here recently, and we were remarking how it is that uh, you can meet someone who's a Christian, a real genuine Christian, born again of the Lord, and, and it's like you've known each other for years. Several years ago, I had the opportunity while uh, attending the National Religious Broadcasters Convention to uh, sit down in a wonderful luncheon. It was the International Luncheon, and there were people, broadcasters, Christian broadcasters from around the world And at our table, we had people from Europe and Asia. Sitting right next to me was a a station manager of a station, a Christian station in Turkey. Now, this is the land where 
Paul had ministered so much, what was called Asia Minor back in the times of the Bible. And it was so cool to be able to meet another brother in the Lord from halfway around the world. And the connection that we had with one another was a family connection. That is something so precious. And this is our God. This is the way he is. This is what he gives to us. We are together with him. We are together with his people. And God has his family scattered all over the globe. You'll never be alone. There's always going to be family for you, the family of God. And I think that as we live in the enjoyment of that, this is what the world is looking for. The world is looking for a place they can call home. The world is seeking family love. So many who are lost are what they what they don't realize is what they need in their lives is God himself as a father. And God desires that. He would that none should perish but all would come to eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's in John 3:16. Well, we've got to move on. Let's pick it up in Hebrews 11 verse 17. Back to Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac Now remember the account. I believe it's in Genesis chapter 22. The Lord had promised to give Abraham many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And you know, ultimately in the plan of God, one of those descendants would be the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and everything good that he would bring. And God made it clear that he would fulfill those promises, those incredible promises through the person of Isaac. But remember that God called Abraham to go to a place called Mount Moriah and there to sacrifice the very same son of promise, Isaac. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would he kill and end the life of the one who's supposed to live and have kids, and they have kids and more descendants, all the way down through Messiah? How could there be a nation if he's dead? And so that was really an amazing trial. But you remember what happened. He had prepared the wood for the offering, which would be a burnt offering, which seemed to be his son. And he was about to raise his hand to kill his son as a sacrifice. And God stopped him. And God provided a lamb caught in the thicket. God provided the lamb. He provided the sacrifice. In fact, that's really what uh, Abraham said even before they came to Moriah. This is in uh, Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. A few verses earlier, Abraham was uh, rose up early in the morning. This is at verse 3 took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the bird offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And listen to this. And we will come back to you. <laughs> Did you catch that? We will come back to you. He knew exactly what God commanded him to do. It was impossible. Well, let's find out what was going on in the mind and heart of Abraham by faith. Uh, And let's read verses 17 through 22. Uh, Well, we'll start in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. I want to stop right there, because there's so much that really gets into the head of Abraham. It says that, first of all, it says that he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Let me ask you, who else offered up his only begotten son? That's right. God the Father offered up his only begotten son. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in this case, that son was given. That son was sacrificed, the Lord Jesus Christ, having become the Lamb of God. The Lamb who would take away our sins. It is a fact that that place where Abraham offered up his son Isaac, just a very short distance from there, geographically, was another hill called Mount Calvary. And upon that place, that mount, God the Father offered his only son. And so it was true, like Abraham said in Genesis chapter 22, God himself will provide a lamb. Aren't you glad that God the Father did that? Abraham, and and we get a little bit of background in this and his thinking when we were talking about the ground zero of faith, particularly in Romans chapter 4, Abraham looked not to his ability. His ability maybe was to kill, but not to bring back to life. And God had made a promise, and remember what it says there in Hebrews chapter 4, or rather Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, speaking of Abraham, he did not waver back and forth at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. That's key. That's the ground zero of faith. Remember what we said in the last part of the the uh, Hebrew series. Abraham realized that God made a promise and God is not a promise breaker. And he was strengthened in his faith. He gave glory to God, not looking at his inability, but in God's 
infinite ability, God's infinite faithfulness. And he was fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. We see the same kind of language here in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, where it says that, um, verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That's at the core. That is at the ground zero of faith. It's focused on God's infinite ability, not our ability. With God, all things are possible. Jesus said in Mark 10, 27, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Abraham understood that. That was the greatness of his faith. His great faith was based upon the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God, who made such wonderful promises. Yes, promises of many blessings and many generations and an entire blessed nation through his son, Isaac. And so he concluded that God was able to raise him up from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And then there's a legacy that we see as we look at Hebrews chapter 11. In uh, verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac, the son of promise, blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. You see, first, it's Abraham walking by faith, and then there is the son, Isaac, and the fulfillment that God had for Isaac's life. He gave birth to Jacob, who would be known as Israel. And from Jacob, Israel would come 12 sons, 12 tribes, the tribes of Israel. And then there's the son of Jacob. Remember Joseph, who went to Egypt, and by faith, he faced many different different uh, difficulties, but God moved him in a great destiny of the saving of many, an entire nation, the nation of promise. You see, we can see the promise fulfilled generation to generation to generation, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and Joseph's children. And it says they all lived by faith, And by faith, they blessed the next generation. You see, that's the way it is with God. It lasts. The blessing lasts. The goodness lasts. The pleasure lasts. Not so the things of the world. They're fleeting. They're transient. They go. They evaporate. Think about what uh, Solomon, King Solomon said over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, how miserable life can be under the sun in this world without God. You know, have you ever wanted to get something really bad, you know, and you ordered it on Amazon or whatever, 
finally came and, and boy, you know, you're really excited about it. Maybe it's a new computer or whatever, smartphone, maybe a new car, could even be a new house. But after a while, the novelty wears off. Why? Because our hearts are constructed for things that are so much better. They're things that are eternal. They're things uh, from the hand of God and ultimately God himself. Well, we've uh, covered a fair amount of ground here and certainly bring out some important points in the book of Hebrews. And I hope it's encouraging you in your walk. I don't want you to think that these examples of faith that are recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 are any different from you. They're every bit as human. They're every bit as flawed. In fact, if you go back in the Old Testament and you read their stories, they had lots of problems. They sinned. They made mistakes. But they kept coming back to God. They kept trusting God. And they, well, as it says earlier in our teaching when we were looking at the uh, Hebrews chapter 11, they were assured of the promises of God. They embraced the promises. They had the true eternal perspective on things. They enjoyed God in the journey, in the pilgrimage. And you, that's your birthright as well. That's yours. That belongs to you, child of God. If you think, how in the world can that happen in my life? Stop looking at your inability. Start resting in the infinite ability of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you for how loving you are. And Lord, just catching a glimpse of you, getting a taste of you, taste and see how good the Lord is. Lord, this is what really satisfies. As it says in Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, I thank you that all of these who walked by faith that are pointed out in Hebrews chapter 11, Lord, we recognize that they were all before Christ. They were before the fulfilling of the promises. They were before the enacting of the new covenant. They were before the Messiah himself. And yet they enjoyed their walk with you. They enjoyed the journey, the pilgrimage. They saw you daily moving and blessing. Father, I pray, help us to look to you by faith. To be in the word of God. To know you through the word and through the spirit. As Jesus reminded us. By what he said to the scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of the law, these are the scriptures which testify about you. Lord, may we, by faith, come to you, believing that you are, and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Thank you, Father, that uh, we don't have to do this alone on our own ability. You've given us your Son, Christ, alive inside of us. He's the perfect God and perfect Son of Man. And so, Lord, we rest on Him, we rely upon Him, and we're excited about what You are going to do in and through our lives for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.